Last week we took a little bit of a break from Ecclesiastes. We're going to jump back in today. We've been preaching through the book. We are at chapter 11 this morning, and we're going to read and talk about the whole chapter. It's pretty short. So go ahead and, and turn there to Ecclesiastes 11. As you're turning, I'm going to give a little bit of a, a just a reminder here of what we've been thinking through, what we believe Solomon, as the author of this, has been writing to us. His consistent message in all of, specifically chapter 10 especially, has been, look, observe foolishness, observe wisdom, and choose wisdom, right? Walk in wisdom. When wisdom is valued, things go well. When wisdom is not valued, things do not go well. This is not a complicated thing that we're learning here. But specifically in chapter 10, he says if wisdom is not valued, even structures of authority from the highest to the lowest are going to be affected, and specifically in a negative way. So he's given us examples of what wisdom looks like. Um, even though, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's not always obvious to the fool. In a world that's upside down, under the sun here, unexpected things happen. And so chapter 10, we talked a little bit about that. He said, you might fall into a pit that you're digging. You might be moving a wall and get bitten by a snake. You might have those rocks fall on you. You might even get hurt chopping wood. And even though foolishness causes a lot of wrong things and bad things in our lives, one's kind of stood out more than the rest that Solomon addressed, and that was the foolishness that comes out of our mouths so often, our tongue. And we could save ourselves an awful lot, a heap of problems we could save ourselves if we learned to tame the tongue. And that leads us into chapter 11. I'm going to read it together, and then we'll pray again, ask God's blessing on his word. Ecclesiastes 11. Cast your bread upon the waters. For you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so, do you, not, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both will be, both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and to the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and dawn are of life are vanity. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to understand your word better this morning. Remove preconceived ideas of what we might think and let us be taught by the Spirit as a church and in individuals this morning. Cut through the hard parts of our heart with the sharpness of your word today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, so right off the bat here, 
there's a couple of ways that we can understand the first six verses of chapter 11. So wisdom literature uses a lot of analogies, it uses a lot of pictures, and so it can kind of be tricky to figure out what is being talked about. He's talking about throwing bread on the water and then it's going to come back to you. Um, we can understand this in, its, in the sense, in the realm of finances. That's one of the ways that we could look at this. So he says, cast your bread upon the waters. That, in this instance, would refer then to maybe a kind of shipping venture. So ships on the water, cast your bread on the water. Uh, if you know anything about maritime travel in that day, it was real slow. It was real slow. Things did not move fast, did not have gas-powered, diesel-powered motors to power their boats. So things took a long time, especially if you're going to send it overseas or send it on the water. And so he's saying, look, you're going to, it's going to take a lot of patience to see any kind of return on any possible investment here. Give a portion to seven or eight because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's coming. So he says, and you've heard this phrase before, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You guys heard that Right? Kids, you understand what that means? If you put all your eggs in one basket and then you fall with said basket full of eggs, what happens to the eggs? We have chickens at home and regularly we see broken eggs on the ground. That's what happens when you fall when you're holding eggs. So if they're all in one basket and you fall, all of your investment is busted up and it's not good. So diversify what you're, you're financially um, working through. And we do this because of what it says in verse 2. You don't know what kind of disasters may come upon you. You don't know what kind of disaster may happen on earth. And he says, in just a moment, he says, rain's going to fall, which can be a really good thing. But we talked about this a few weeks back when we had one of those big gully washers come through. It can be really destructive too. Rain can be a good thing. It's going to fall. Trees also fall unexpectedly. And there's nothing that you or I can do to change it. We can't stop the tree from falling. We can't stop the rain from falling. So if we haven't planned accordingly for those kinds of things, we're going to be in, in trouble. It could ruin us. So sometimes we run headlong into disaster because we've not planned properly or because we've not worked hard enough. Sometimes we get into trouble because we kind of get to a point where we just stall out and we do nothing at all. Now, I think if you think back to your life, you can identify moments where you've been in both of those situations. But look at verse 4. This verse tells us the unpredictability of life. And it tells us that a person who, can, who just looks at that unpredictability of the rain falling, of the tree falling, they look at that and it scares them into inaction. Okay? So... This person sees the wind blow down a tree. And so they're not going to plant their crop because they say, well, if I just plant my, if I, if I go to scatter seed, the wind is just going to blow it to where I don't want it. It's going to blow it onto the rocky ground where it's not going to produce well. So I'm just going to wait and not sow my seed because they've viewed the wind and they're afraid. They see the rain clouds. This person sees the rain clouds and they say, man, if I go to harvest today, all this stuff is going to get wet and then it's going to spoil when I store it up. And so they don't move to action to harvest their crop because they're afraid of the rain. So this person, they want to take every possibility into account. 
but they get overly distracted with trying to predict the future or plan the outcome, even though it says in the next few verses that all of those things are up to God alone. Just like we can't predict how much rain is going to fall in our fields, we don't know or determine how God grows a baby in the womb. Think about this, especially in Solomon's time. There's no ultrasound. Uh, they didn't have any of the common medical practices. Uh, it, it was kind of like you did, you had no clue what was happening in there. And yet, when the baby was born, it was a miracle. It's still a miracle. But now we get a, kind of a, a better view of what's happening. But we don't cause that to happen. God does. Therefore, prepare as best you can with hopeful planning. That's the title of the sermon, hopeful, hope-filled planning. Because that's what we're called to do as believers. And I think that's what we're getting at here. Even though we don't know the outcome, even though we don't know the future, we plan based on the will of God and we plan with hope. Verse 6 says, hey, sow your seed in the morning and sow it in the evening. I think this is just meaning work hard at what you're doing, at a variety of things with hopeful expectation because you don't know if one thing is going to work out better than the other. You've probably heard this phrase before too, plan for the best, but prepare for the worst, right? Now that may be a little bit more pessimistic than I, than I would want to uh, give a flavor to this of, but I think this is sort of what Solomon is referring to here. We prepare and we plan with hope, but God knows what the future holds. Another way of understanding these first six verses, kind of in, still in the realm of finance, but more would be in, in how we give, in our generous giving. So go back to the beginning when it says, cast your bread upon the waters. I think this is another way of saying, hey, give your material things to those who are in need. That it might seem wasteful in the moment, it might seem like you're just ripping up your bread and throwing it in the water never to see it again. And yet, it will come back to you. You will be rewarded for that generosity. It'll find you after many days. I think that also ties into what the Bible teaches about you reap what you sow. So if you sow generously, you also may reap generously sometime in the future. And he says, give a serving to seven or to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. This encourages generosity in light of the fact that the future, even though it's uncertain, is supposed to be prepared for. So with these ideas, Solomon continues to direct us towards a place of true wisdom. In the realm of finances, in the realm of generosity. And so we give generously because we don't know what might be coming in the future. And because it's wise to do so from a pure heart. If I was going to ask for a raise of hands, which I won't because I already know the answer, how many of you knows, know what God knows? No one does. No one knows what God knows except for God. And so it could be this afternoon. It could be next year. We don't know when our end will be. We don't know what will come in our jobs. Some of you could go to work tomorrow morning and be let go. I pray that doesn't happen, but it's, it's a realistic possibility in our culture today. We do not know the future, and so we simply observe what's happening, we learn from it, and then we work hard at preparing well for whatever comes in the future. 
I want to add another kind of thought here in how we should understand the first few verses of this chapter. And it's in the realm of ministry. So we've talked about finances. We've talked about the the idea of generosity. And now in in the realm of ministry, in verses 4 through 6 especially, look, God has given you, as one of his children, a gift. We, we learn about this from the Apostle Paul especially, but all throughout the New Testament. God has given every person in the body a gift to serve and bless the body with. And you probably know this, especially if you've got a few years on you in Christian life. You know that there is no perfect time to exercise your gift, is there? It's kind of like uh, people that say they're waiting for the right time to have kids, or the person that says they're waiting for the right time to invest their money. Like, there is no right time. It's just when it happens. This, I think, should help us understand what it's talking about using our spiritual gift in ministry here, too. There's never a super convenient time to do what God has called you to do. It always takes some sacrifice. It always takes overcoming challenges. Stuff doesn't just usually fall into place. Now, when it does, praise God, that's often a clear indication that's where things should happen. But sometimes it just isn't so easy. And we can get like this farmer in our story who looks at the clouds and the falling trees and gets scared into inaction. And we can look at these things and we can say, well, that's a sign that this is not the right time. And we can miss what God would really have for us. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon from this text, and it was titled, Sowing in the Wind, Reaping Under the Clouds. And he talks of this very thing. This is what he says. If we keep on observing circumstances instead of trusting God, now get ready because this stings a little bit. If we keep on observing circumstances instead of trusting God, we are guilty of disobedience. God bids me sow. I do not sow because the wind would blow some of my seed away. God bids me reap. I do not reap because there's a black cloud there, and before I can house the harvest, some of it may be spoiled. I may say what I want, but I'm guilty of disobedience. His point, I think, is this. To observe and then to fret over circumstances that are beyond our control, instead of trusting God, reveals unbelief, It reveals disobedience. I think it reveals fear. And brothers and sisters, it even reveals laziness on our parts. With everything going on in our world today, we need to hear this. I feel the same as you right now, I think, I would guess. It's it's hard to believe, to know what to believe right now. It's hard to know who to trust right now. It's hard to know how to move forward and all of these things. And those of you who own your own business or, or that sort of thing, you, you know this very well. What do, what do we do? Well, I don't have all the answers. But I think we should learn from our text this morning that we can only ever move forward by trusting and obeying. Being lazy due to fear or disobedience is not what we're called to as believers Just like there's no perfect time to invest, there's no perfect time to give, there's no perfect time to step out of our comfort zone into ministry either. So I just want to say thank you. We haven't been meeting it for Sunday school for a while, but those of you who are going to be teaching Sunday school in the next couple of weeks as we start again, thank you. 
Those of you who serve in our children's programs and our youth stuff, thank you. Those of you who serve on the kitchen committee, on the landscape committee, for whatever you do, I know that you give up time in order to serve our body, and we thank you. You surrender your time and your effort and your energy and sometimes part of your, part of your paycheck to serve and love on the body of Christ and on our community. And I thank you for that. When you surrender in obedience, you never know how God is going to use you. Think back in your life for just a moment to a time, and if you've been a believer for very long at all, you, there's a time, but think back to a moment when you weren't sure what the outcome was going to be, but you followed the Lord and it turned out way better than you expected. Think of that. That's not a one-time thing. That's the regular occurrence when we trust in God's faithfulness. That's the norm in our life, is to see the waves. Maybe they're growing in swells. Maybe they're hitting the side of the boat, and yet we say, God, I trust you, not what my eyes can see, not certainly not what the media is telling me. Lord, we, we believe in you. We trust in your word. So thank you for serving Think now to the person who was with you when you trusted Christ for the first time. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who was there? There's a very good chance that there was someone there with you walking you through what that looked like, helping you understand what it means to follow Jesus, right? We, we know that this is how it works. Most every believer in the world, in our church, they hear the gospel from the lips of another. Paul says this in Romans 10. He says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? And how are they going to, how is someone going to preach unless they're sent, right? So we go and we preach so that people hear the gospel. We sow these seeds in the morning and in the evening because we don't know what God's going to do with them. We don't know how God is going to answer our prayer we do know, though, as I was reminded by a, a brother last night, we do know that every bit of God's word that goes out does not return to him void. And it accomplishes exactly his purpose. So we keep sowing the seed of the gospel morning and evening. But verse 5 reminds us, it kind of puts us in our place. It says, you're not God, the God who makes everything. So you can't see always the end of what's happening, of what's to come. So we just do our part of sowing. Sometimes we get to reap. Sometimes we get to water, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But only God and God alone gives any increase. Those of you, I'm looking at Mark and Lori because of the cucumber thing. Um, but those of you who have gardens, do you go out there every night and massage your plants? I, Caleb just shook his head yes, but uh, we're going to need some video proof of this, Amy. So <laughs> You don't go out and you don't massage your plants. Now, you probably don't. They say house plants, if you sing to them, they're healthier. I don't know if that's true, but you don't, you're probably not out there in the garden belting out music for your plants to grow because we don't have any hand in that. We don't have a part in that. You plant the seed. You work at removing weeds and watering and nurturing that, but God gives the growth. Not you. God does. 
So whether these verses that we looked at this morning are referring to finances and wisdom in that, or whether they're referring to generosity or, or ministry, really the point is kind of the same, and it's this. Do something now for a reward that cannot be immediately seen. You see what it's saying? Work hard now with hope-filled planning for something that we believe God is going to do in the future. We prepare and we plan financially, but it's God who provides for us. We do the work of ministry, but only God saves and only God gives any kind of increase. And we give generously with hope, but you know what? Only God knows what the future holds. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10 with me. These verses remind us that there is one thing we know will happen for sure. We don't know all of the future, but there's one thing we know is going to happen for sure. And it's something that we talked about a few weeks ago from chapter 9. And it's this. Death comes to us all. Every person in this room, unless the Lord comes back beforehand, will die. In light of that fact, in light of the fact that we are not eternal on this earth, we should rejoice in the time that we're given here. We should. We should enjoy the sun. We should enjoy all the days that we're given. Enjoy your life because the looming reality is that it doesn't last forever here. But our enjoyment here is only ever full when it's according to the ways of God. You can't go out and live in disobedience to his word and expect to be fulfilled in this life. The pursuit of earthly pleasures using earthly gain can never lead to eternal joy. Those things do not follow. They do not equal one another. And not only that, but we live this life under the sun as we live it inevitably it's going to be weighed to more towards darkness than it is light he says the days of darkness will be many however in as many years as you have here and since he says and just there and afterwards all that comes is vanity we have to look beyond the here and the now enjoy your life here yes plan for the future but don't get so wrapped up in earthly things that we forget that this is not our home the preacher in Ecclesiastes, here again, is pushing us towards considering eternity, towards setting our mind to what's eternal. And he tells this young man that he's writing to. You see, in the book of Proverbs especially, he addresses someone called the young man. This is just kind of how he teaches. He's just saying, hey, y'all, this is for you. And he tells the young man to follow his heart and let what he sees him with his what. Let what he sees with his eyes lead him. Does that sound strange to anyone else wrapped up here? He says, follow your heart and let what you see with your eyes lead you. You know what I think this is? I don't, I wish there was some kind of a font for sarcasm, but I think this is Hebrew sarcasm a little bit here. Let me give you, let me give an example of what I mean. So imagine that you have a 10 year old kid who constantly gets into the snack drawer at home. And you've told them not to, but they get into the snack drawer and they just like eat all the Twinkies and the Ding Dongs. Not that you all have those in your house, but they just, we do. (laughs) They just eat, they just, they gorge themselves on this junk food. And you've told them not to do this. Well, 
The day comes, and guess what? You find them in, in the pantry, eating a bunch of junk food before dinner. You know, they know they're not supposed to. And, and imagine that you say this. You say, hey, you know what? Fine. Eat all you want. Enjoy it. Have fun. But guess what's coming? Your stomach is not going to agree with you after a while. It's not going to go well for you to do this. So in that scenario, you're not literally telling your kid, hey, it's okay to go eat whatever, you know, eat all the the ding-dongs. You're sarcastically saying, if you do this, there's going to be consequences coming. Not even just discipline from you as a parent, but just their own body is going to reject this. It's not going to go well. They're going to regret it. Here, I think Solomon is saying the same thing, the same kind of thing. He, it, it's as if he's saying, look, do this if you will. Follow your heart, whatever you see with your eyes, go ahead and do that. Do it if you dare, but remember that there is a judgment day coming. And God is going to measure out your fate according to your actions, according to what you do. This part of our existence here under the sun as believers We're encouraged to enjoy the good gifts of God, but to remember not to take them too far or to use them foolishly. Enjoy your time here, but don't get so lost in earthly things that you forget about eternal things because God's judgment is real and it's coming. Isn't that our message to the world? God's judgment is real and it's coming. And if we truly have as much love in our hearts for the lost and for our neighbor and for our loved ones, isn't that the message we should be sharing with them regularly? We love you so much. And God is real. And he's coming in judgment. Because of this, we're called to live differently. So he says, remove vexation there at the end of chapter 11 in verse 10, remove vexation. It's also translated sorrow, also translated anger or wrath. Remove anger from your heart. Put away or put off pain. Also could be translated evil. Put off wrongdoing from your flesh. Guys, God's judgment is real and it's coming. So live out your life under the sun differently than if you didn't know that. These things should not describe a believer. Anger wrongdoing put these things off get away from them because you know as a christian that the judgment of god is real and it's coming we know this to be true as believers we know that god is good but we know that god is just and he will judge the world has that truth changed you the fact that god is real and his judgment is real and it's coming has that changed you if it hasn't i think it should Christians, we can no longer be people who live only for ourselves. We can no longer be people who live only for what this life has to offer. We can enjoy the things of this life, but we don't live only for them. Knowing these things about God motivates the believer to learn and to love his commands so that we live rightly in light of his coming judgment. That's, I think, the main thrust of what Solomon is getting at here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. You know what? But knowing these things about God should also motivate those of us who don't know him, those of you who don't know Christ, to put your faith in him. It should motivate you because 
look, you've received a warning today from his word that if you continue in your wrong thinking and in your wrong living, there's going to be consequences. Solomon's saying, yeah, you can do that. Go ahead if you dare. But God's judgment is real and it's coming. It has consequences. The only way to have anger removed from your heart is to have it replaced with a heart ready and willing to be molded by God. That heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. The only way to have evil put out and off of our flesh completely is to crucify our flesh daily and to live for the ways and the will of God and not ourselves. If we're truly able to rejoice in this life, brothers and sisters, it can only happen with the, within the moral boundaries that God has established. That's the only way we can really enjoy this life because God is going to be the one who evaluates all human deeds according to his righteous judgment. So we live differently in light of that. We live differently. And one of the ways that we do that is by planning and doing things now for a reward that we believe God will bring in the future. So this is kind of the theme of the last few chapters. We continue to walk by faith and not by sight. So we put away idleness, we put away fear, we put away arrogance and self-confidence, and instead we put our trust in God alone, in Him alone. And we do this through a personal relationship with Him. And I'd invite you to do that today if you haven't already. After we pray and we dismiss here in just a moment, come find me if you want to talk more about what a relationship with Jesus looks like, what it would mean to put your faith in Christ. Walk by faith and not by sight, and reach out for his saving grace this morning. Believer, let me end with a a charge to you. Every moment of worry, every moment of concern for the future, put those in the hand of God. You're not designed to carry that kind of weight around on this earth. Cast it onto the Lord, because we know he cares for us. He cares for you. And when you can give these burdens over to him, it's then, and I think only then, that we really enjoy this life to the fullest. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your instruction this morning on how to give generously, be wise with what we have, Lord, but ultimately to live a life changed, knowing that you hold the future and you're coming in judgment. Lord, help us to walk in wisdom, to walk by faith and not by sight. And for those who don't know you that are here this morning, Father, I pray that today would be the day that they're found by you and they respond in faith and repentance. Lord, for those of us who belong to you now, Lord, I pray that we would seek and work hard every moment to cast our anxiety and our cares on you because you care for us. The world would tell us today that it's okay to be anxious and worry about things. And there's plenty of opportunities to do that now. And yet your word is very clear that it is wrong to get so wrapped up in looking at what might happen that we forget to put our faith in you. And so, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief this morning. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that Jesus and his death... His payment for sin makes a relationship and peace with you possible. We celebrate Him 
And we pray these things in his name. Amen.